My name's Joshua. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're in the third week of our Anxiety and the Peace of God series, where we're studying what the scripture says about anxiety with the hopes that we will continually exchange our anxiety for God's peace. And you know, if you make every service during the four-week series, you're only going to get about two hours of instruction. But we don't want the, the, the uh, concepts and the teachings from this series just to end on Sunday morning. So we've got two next steps that you can uh, take to continually grow in this area. One is that on November 24th, during the 6.30 service, we're going to have a live Q&A panel. It'll also be on Facebook Live. So if you have questions, you can actually today write on one of the prayer cards in the seat back in front of you a question to field uh, that our panel will uh, answer on November 24th at the 6.30 service. The second thing is Dr. Walt Broadbent is uh, teaching a two-week study on the concepts we've talked about in this series. It's on the first and second Thursday of December at 7 o'clock. If you want to be part of that, you can write on your prayer card, class with Dr. Broadbent, sign me up, and then we'll get you all set up. All right. If you are like me, and at some time in your past, you've shared your struggle with anxiety with someone, you will probably have one of two responses or one of two paths people suggest that you are to walk down. One path is the spiritual path. Well, they encourage you to read your Bible more, to pray more, to be in biblical community. And maybe here's a book by a Christian author about anxiety. In that path, the underlying assumption is that our spirits, something's wrong with our spirits, and we need to change that in order to walk the path of peace. Well, there's another path. The other path is the mental path, the mind path. These people will encourage you to go see a doctor, to exercise, watch your caffeine intake, change your nutrition, maybe practice some mindfulness. This is the mental path. And the underlying assumption is that our minds, there's something wrong with our minds. You got this spiritual path and the mental path. Well, the question this morning is, which is the right path? When we experience anxiety in our lives, is there something wrong with our spirit? Is there something wrong with our mind? What's the right path? Well, we are going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, where the Apostle Paul, in writing a letter to a church in a city called Philippi, is giving some instructions that is so, so helpful for us to understand on this path of peace. And many of these uh, concepts we're going to talk to this morning are all hidden in plain sight. It's a very familiar passage, but I think if we look a little more slowly at what the Bible says, it's really going to encourage us as we walk this path of peace. Um, At the end of the message, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be prayed over. You know, um, many of us, I think this this topic has struck a chord with a lot of us. So just to let you know, at the end of this service, we're going to have a prayer team that's going to come up and you're going to have an opportunity for people to lay hands on you and pray for you. The Bible talks about that uh, a lot. So just to keep that in mind, so if you're feeling some nudges throughout this this message, that's probably an indication that you should be prayed for at the end of this message, okay? So let me pray for us as we get into the text, and then we'll get going. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we are here to affirm that you are mighty and that we are needy. You hold all things in the palm of your hand. We have control of very little. And we affirm that that's a good thing because you are loving and you are good. So, Father, as you show us, uh, as, you, uh, as we uh, look at your word, would you show us fresh insight and in how to walk the path of peace so that we can try hard things for you and love in radical ways for you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter four, starting in verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So here the apostle Paul, before he gets into instructions about walking this path of peace, he reminds us, of something that we see throughout all the teaching of the Bible on this topic of anxiety, it is the nearness of God. God is always near. He's always present. From our highest of highs to our lowest of lows, God, the Lord, is at hand. So the Apostle Paul kind of lays a foundation in order to get into the instruction that he gives us. So let's keep going, starting in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Let's stop there. Last week, Pastor Chad spoke out of Matthew 6, where Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. So do not be anxious about anything. Really? Like, like, nothing? Like, what if I get a cancer diagnosis? What if I smell smoke coming from the basement? What if I can't find my wallet or my child? Is God really telling us never experience any type of emotional, mental experience of anxiety. You know, if, if I, uh, my wife and I, Deborah, if we invited you over to dinner and you came over and you know we have three kids, we have four-year-old Judah, three-year-old Rebecca, and a five-month-old Hannah. So say we have you come over and we have the table set and everyone sits down, we're about ready to pray and you go, hey, Josh, uh, you have three kids, right? Where's uh, your three-year-old Rebecca? And what if Deborah and I said, you know what? We haven't seen her for a few days, actually. But last Sunday, we heard we're supposed to be anxious about nothing. So we're just, look, if, if that was the scene, you'd be like, these people need some help or they are the worst parents ever. So, so is this wrong? What is the Bible teaching us about anxiety? Well, anytime there's some questions, I'm like, what in the world? The best way to explain what the Bible teaches is by the Bible explaining itself in other chapters, other verses. So let's take a moment to look at the Apostle Paul, other ways he uses this Greek word, 
merimenao. Pastor Chad talked about it last week. The original, the New Testament is written in, in Greek and the word for anxiety, to be anxious is merimenao, to be troubled by cares. Okay, Philippians chapter two. So two chapters prior, he says this in writing uh, this letter. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy, one of his fellow workers, to you soon, so that I too might, may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned, merimenao, concerned for your welfare. Well, that seems like a good thing, right? Paul, in 1 Corinthians, a letter he wrote to the church in a city called Corinth, chapter 7, encourages people to stay single if they can, so that, starting in verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties, mermanao. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. Sounds like a good thing. How to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. That sounds like a good thing. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Elsewhere in this letter, in in chapter 12, verse 24, it says, but God has so composed the body, talking about the body of Christ, the local church, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care, the same merimenao for one another. So all throughout Paul's other writings, this concept of anxiety has both good connotations and bad connotations. Okay, So maybe there's some type of chart up in heaven somewhere where there are things that it's it's bad to be anxious about. That's food, clothing, money, illness. And this is the bad list. And maybe there's a good list. So the good list is you can be anxious about ministry, fellow Christians, and and how to live a holy life. Well, the, the problem is, if you're like me, you're going to be anxious about, okay, is it in this category or is it in this category, right? What if I'm anxious about food for people in ministry? Or what if it's fellow Christians? What if it's fellow Christians who need money? Am I supposed to experience it? So what's the Bible saying? The Bible is teaching us that our focus should not be on the type of anxiety, but rather the degree of anxiety. So that means that the purpose of Jesus' words in Matthew 6 on the prohibition of anxiety is to function as a contrast between someone who is racked with anxiety and someone who is seeking first the kingdom of God. So in Philippians 4, Paul's words on the prohibition for anxiety is supposed to highlight a contrast between a heart filled with anxiety and a life fueled by prayer. See, God is giving us a 
contrast to better understand one or the other. You see, there is a path of peace. And on that path, there are two ditches that God wants to keep us from. You see, on one side, we see the ditch of foolishness. Foolishness is a lack of appropriate concern and appropriate preparation for the future. So if you have sudden chest pains and your right arm becomes numb, it's okay to like freak out a little bit, run to your car and go to the hospital or have the ambulance come here because you're probably having a heart attack. Students, uh, finals are coming up. But if you don't do the study guide, don't read the book and don't prepare for the final, showing up and saying, well, it's on the Lord's hands. Like that's, that's a cop out. That's foolishness. You're in the ditch of foolishness. On the other side, you see, Paul tells us, let your reasonableness be known to everybody. Okay. But on the other side, we see fearfulness. Fearfulness is this. It's a lack of recognition and trust in God's provision and protection. It's a lack of recognition and trust in God's provision and protection. Say you do have a medical issue and the doctors have treated you and they've done all they can, then it is proper and appropriate to say, God, I am in your hands and I trust you with my life. Students, if you have a final and you do the study guide, you read the book, you study, you can go into that, that exam and say, Lord, I, I trust you. I want to do my best. It's in your hands. You see, the, we, what keeps us out of the ditch of fearfulness is reminding ourselves that the Lord is at hand. You see, we are to let our reasonableness be known to everyone avoid the ditch of foolishness, and we to remind ourselves the Lord is at hand, and that pushes away fear. So here, the Apostle Paul has marked out the ditches, and he is providing us now instruction for following along the path of peace. Look with me in verse, is that five, six? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pastor Craig Rochelle says that anxiety is a signal alerting us to pray. See, the response to any, ex any experience of concern to help us keep on the path of peace is always prayer. I got a theological question for you. Why do we pray? So what's the purpose of prayer? You see, the, the verse says, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If you know a little bit of Christian theology, you know God already knows it. Right? God knows all things. He knows the future and the past and the present. So whatever you're going to say, God knows it. So why do we pray? See, if you, like, imagine you wake up tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., you pour your cup of coffee and you say, all right, I'm going to go pray for like 30 minutes. 
on the couch and then say God shows up in bodily form. He's like, I'm here. You could, you could actually just t- like, uh, you could just verbally pray to me and say, you go, okay, God, I'm going to apply what Josh said on Sunday. I'm going to let my requests be made uh, known to you. You know, God, I've got that issue with my boss and the supplier that's really causing problems for me at work. I need help in that area. You know what God would say? I know. You know, God, my 13-year-old daughter is like, she gets me at a, a lower brain level and makes me so angry. And I don't know, I need help. I need help with this. You know what God would say? I know. Right, Lord, you, Lord I've got this physical issue. Would you do something with this? Like, I, I need help in this physical issue. And God would say, I know. So why do we pray? When we pray, we are verbally, mentally, spiritually acknowledging that we are needy and God is mighty. Prayer is an act of humility. Prayer is the process of us recognizing and acknowledging God's great power, his great might, and his great love. And we come before him saying, God, we are so in need of you. This prayer time, me coming to you, you don't need it. I need it. You can do all things. I can't without Christ. Praying is the affirmation that we are needy and God is mighty. You know what? The only a humble person prays. You see, often we talk to people about their prayer life. And again, prayer is hard for me too. You always want to go. You always want to do something. So I'm speaking as a fellow follower, a fellow uh, person who's wanting this as a gr- in a greater degree in my life. But when you talk to someone about their prayer life or absence of it, you get a window into what, who they truly believe is in control of their life. So say someone wakes up early, instead of spending some time in prayer, they put in some extra hours at the office. Well, what they are saying is that their boss or that report is what controls their future and who has control to make their life good or bad. Say we wake up early, neglect prayer, we hit the gym and we want to look really good in a, you know, a suit or in a dress. What you're saying is that the other people's views of you and your appearance is truly what's going to provide peace in your life. If the first thing you do in the morning is you check social media or you find likes and affirmations, what you're saying is, if people like me, that's actually how I find peace. That's actually the path that my life should take. You see, if you are struggling with anxiety, then you may not have an anxiety problem, you may have a pride problem. That's what I shared two weeks ago. That was my problem. Only a humble person prays. But when we humble ourselves by letting our requests be made known to God, the result is that God gives us the gift of his peace. And what does that peace do? Verse seven. And the peace of God, what we receive when we humbly go to him in prayer, 
which surpasses all understanding, will, what does that say? Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, there's this absolutely false notion of peace, that peace is just some chill pill, happy clappy, hippy dippy, akuna matata, don't worry, be happy, form of like unreality, that you just go like, like walking through your house as it burns down with a smile on your face. That is not the peace of God because that's a peace in an unreality. The peace of God is a peace that guards you. The peace of God is the peace in the midst of, not in the absence of conflict. You see, this word guard in the original language is the word garrison. There was a garrison in the city of Philippi where this letter was written. A garrison is a large military structure with military warriors on the top, ready at a moment's notice to be released when an attack comes. The peace of God, which is a gift to us in prayer, it will garrison our hearts and our minds because there is an enemy who will, Guarantee, sin and attack your way. But when we're humble in peace, we have God's, not our. It's the peace of God, his garrison to be released, to protect our hearts, to protect the emotions that circle around, protect our minds from those thoughts that come to destroy us. That's the peace that we get in prayer. And your job and my job is not to get a shield and a spear and stand up on that garrison. Rather, it is to get on our knees and say, God, you are mighty and I am needy. That is the path to peace. That is the peace that God offers you in Christ Jesus. Up until now, so verse six and seven, it seems like the apostle Paul is giving us a spiritual path to peace, right? We talk about prayer, supplication. Uh, we talk about hearts, and, you know, your heart. Up until this point, it seems like Paul's like, hey, the path to peace, it's a spiritual path. It is a path you follow in your spirit through Bible study, prayer, and all those things. Well, starting in verse eight, it's as if the apostle Paul starts grinding his gears and downshifting. And he makes this major shift and begins to talk about mental things. Talk about mental things that actually aren't necessarily Bible things. Well, let's look with me. Uh, verse eight. Finally, now, now this word finally, it's meant to say, it's basically like, and considering what I just said, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever is just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So here the Apostle Paul gives us a list of 
virtues or qualities. But this list, all commentators note, it's a peculiar list because over half of these words don't show up elsewhere in Paul's writing. And you also see that many of the words used in this list are borrowed or used in pagan Greek philosophy. Like take the word excellence. This is the Greek word arete. So any of you um, philosophy, you know, three philosophy majors out there working at Starbucks or whatever you're doing, um, <laughs> you, you will know that this is... Uh, this is the central, the pinnacle virtue in Aristotle, Socrates, and Plato. What is virtue? What is excellence? So when Paul writes this in his Jewish Christian context, everyone's going to go like, okay, I know what these guys are talking about, but this is surprising. What Paul's doing is he's making an argument based on our intuition based on what most everyone has, that sense of this is right, this is wrong. This is good, this is bad. This is just, this is unjust. This is pure, this is impure. So now that sense can be clouded by sin, but almost everyone has some sense of what is right and what is wrong. So what the apostle Paul is saying is that there are things all throughout our world, not merely things that you will encounter Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. There are things all throughout that are true, that are honorable, that are just, that are pure, that are lovely, that are commendable, they're excellent, and there are things that are praiseworthy. And wherever you find those things, you are to think about them. They certainly include God's holy word, but they don't exclude a beautiful sunset, a delicious meal, an encouraging conversation, a time spent in sport or entertainment. There are things that are good and pure and just that we are supposed to chew on in our minds continually. And that is part of the path of peace. You see, I'm afraid that too many of us kind of leave, how, how should I say this? We leave ourselves, a part of ourselves at church every Sunday. So there's this sense where, okay, I'm going to kind of leave this part of my life. And I know um, you know, I'm supposed to read my Bible and pray and supposed to sing with the songs. Sometimes I don't. All right, right. I'm supposed to listen to announcements. And then, okay, on Wednesday night, I'll come here and I'll do my Bible study. And then maybe I'll come and serve. Okay, but then, so the Bible talks about all this stuff. But all of my normal life way out here, the Bible doesn't really address. So I could kind of go along and float along the tide of culture. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that in order for you to follow along the path of peace, all this Sunday morning stuff should bleed into everything about your day-to-day life. If you're an accountant, there is a way to obey verse 8 every day. 
If you are an artist, that's why when you go into to a beautiful, like you go to you know, the uh, art museum downstairs, or downstairs, I wish it was downstairs, <laughs> downtown, you go in there and it could be a paint, like, like the haystacks. Who was it? Is it Monet? There's, there's the haystacks. Um, you look at those and like this dude wrote, no, painted a picture of haystacks, but it's incredible. Like it just blows you away. What God is telling us is anything that is just pure and true and excellent, praiseworthy. When we chew on those things in our mind, even if it's not a Bible verse, that is part of following along the path of peace. But I will say too, too often, those, the things that we put in our minds are not described by verse eight. Our search history, our Netflix queue should be described by that list. And I would, I would venture to say most of us would be embarrassed if we broadcast what we put into our minds on a daily basis. See, maybe you've been reading your Bible. You're in a life group. You're doing what we're supposed to do, but you're still experiencing anxiety. Well, there is this other side, this mental side where there's patterns in our lives that we must also submit to Christ because it's in his word. And that those are the mental patterns that we have to develop in order to follow along the path of peace. And in verse nine, Apostle Paul brings them all together. It says, what you have learned, okay, I taught you things. What you have received, those things that you affirm in your life. What you have heard in my preaching, in my teaching, in my conversations, and you have seen the pattern of that person's life. What is that next word? Practice practice these things and the result, the God of peace will be with you. Scripture tells us that peace takes practice. Peace takes practice. There are many areas of our lives that we affirm, like I'm not going to be able to play the violin unless I practice, right? I'm not going to be able to, uh, you know, perform well in a sport unless I practice, right? Like purchasing a gym membership is not sufficient to get the physical fitness that you want, even though, even though the gym uh, industry is probably built on that false reality, right? Same with peace. The patterns that you are participating in your life dictate if and how far you will go on the path of peace. You know, Pastor Chad mentioned something kind of in passing, and it, I think it's really profound. He said, everybody practices something. What are you practicing? What are you practicing? And is that in line with the path of peace that God has laid out for you? See, scripture tells us, that the path of peace is followed in both body and spirit, in both mind and spirit. Spiritually, we must humble ourselves by offering our request to God. And when we do, God's peace fights for us. Mentally, we have to think about 
what is true and honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. And when we do, we provide the environment for the God of peace to show up. All of this requires practice because the path of peace is followed in both body and spirit. You know, and we know this most clearly and we see this most beautifully in the life of Jesus. You know that Jesus was fully God and fully man. He fully experienced all the experiences that we would experience, but in them all, he was sinless and responded in perfection. And we know that Jesus Christ gave us all of himself, body and soul. And we see his peace in the most clear and profound way in his final words on the cross. We see in Luke 23, 46. So here he is in unbelievable physical agony at the last moments of his life, not to mention his experience of all of our sin being put on his back. And he is paying for that on the cross. He is experiencing excruciating pain physically, spiritually. And as he's breathing his last, he says this, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Now, I'm, I'm not having it ripped out of my hands. I am offering back to you, Father, everything. And if there was any more peaceful words of trust, body and soul than that, I don't know what there is, right? In a moment, um, the band's gonna play uh, a few songs and we're gonna have an opportunity for you to come up and have uh, people lay hands on you and pray for you. Um, All throughout scripture, we see this as a pattern for people who are stuck. And maybe you're stuck in the ditch of foolishness. And there's been consequences in your life based on lack of preparation. And you you know you need to develop new patterns. Or maybe you're stuck in your anxiety. You've done, you feel like you've done all that you can and you don't know what to do. Well, maybe you just need someone to come around you, lay hands, pray for you, and you just need a nudge back up upon the path of peace. So in a, I'd like to actually invite the uh, prayer team forward now. We're gonna have a few songs. And if you feel a nudge in your heart and you like, I feel like I need to be prayed for, come on down during these songs we'll, and we'll pray for you. But one instruction, if when you come, please explain in a one sentence what you need prayer for. Because we wanna make sure we focus that time on prayer and not explaining kind of, Um, your whole backstory, okay? So let me pray, and then we invite you to come and be prayed for. Dear God, you are holy and good, mighty and true, just beyond understanding, but you come near to us. Thank you that you've given us the path of peace. You've given us your son, Jesus, body and soul, that through faith in him, we can receive the peace of God and have the God of peace. So I pray for those here this morning who need to experience a, a fresh touch, an encouragement. Lord, would they uh, come, be prayed for, and Lord, would their life change? Would they leave today experiencing a brand new experience of the peace of God and the God of peace? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.